So let me begin our time as I promised I was going to do by going, woo! And I will continue on to keep our youth and our adults awake, those who uh, went through this weekend. But uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open with me to two different places again this week, Matthew 16 and John 20. Matthew 16 and John chapter 20. And welcome to week three of a series that has us walking through the Apostles' Creed, the oldest of the, the Christian creeds. And as we've been saying, although the Apostles did not write this creed, this is a summary of all that the Apostles believed and what they taught. And when the early church recited this creed, what they were doing, the same time as it was, it was their greatest act of rebellion. They were rebelling against Rome and against the thoughts of their world, and it was also their greatest act of allegiance. They were joining together um, as a body of believers and shared belief. And in both senses, as I said from the beginning, we need to, in a fresh way, as Christian community, we need to rebel against what the world is telling us, the message that the world is proclaiming. We need to, to rebel against that, while at the same time, we need to be brought together as, as believers under the banner of what we believe and what the Word of God declares and one more re-emphasis this morning throughout this series we are not preaching the creed whether we're using the the creed to point us to the authority of of God's word as we said creeds do not have any authority in and of themselves but they point us to that which does have authority which is God's word so the creed is not the source of light as we said in week one the creed is the moon that reflects the sun and the sun is the word of God so week one we began with the words I Believe, And what we declared in that is this. There's two different ways that we can know or believe. We can know in our heads, but sometimes or many times what we know in our heads does not necessarily lead to action. It just leads to knowledge. Or we can know in our hearts, which drives our actions and drives our beliefs. And then last week we talked about the phrase, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we unpack the reality that God is our infinitely powerful creator, while at the same time he is an intimately personal father. So he is creator, he is father to us. He is creator, powerful creator, but he is also personal in his relationship with us. And this morning we come to the phrase, Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And with this phrase we enter into the second major um, section of the creed, and it's worth noting that the Apostles' Creed is Trinitarian um, in its thought process, meaning there's a section devoted to the Father, a section devoted to the Son, a section devoted to the Holy Spirit, because we believe, of course, the Christian view is we believe the Godhead, three distinct persons, yet God is one. Always come back to the um, statement of Adrian Rogers, who said this, explain the Trinity and you will lose your mind. Deny the Trinity, and you will lose your soul. So I always come back there. We cannot wrap our heads around um, the Trinity. But let me lay something before you. Of the 109 words in this creed, 69 of them occur in the section relating to Jesus. Meaning that 63%, I did the math, Robert. I know Robert always cringes when I do math because um, you know, I'm 100% I'm correct um, about 3% of the time. But so 63% of the, the creed is about Jesus. So it tells us something pretty important, meaning the Christian faith is all about him. Christian faith is all about Jesus. And let, let's lay it, lay it this way. You can be mistaken about some of the secondary issues of Christianity and you can still be saved. 
But if you are mistaken concerning who Jesus is and what he has done, if you're wrong there, you're wrong. You're wrong. And there's no hope in, in that picture. And I love what the creed does here. Um, the words of J.I. Packer puts it this way. When it, the creed, called God maker of heaven and earth, the creed parted company with Hinduism and Eastern faiths generally. Now, by calling Jesus Christ God's only son, the creed parts company with Judaism and Islam and stands quite alone. This claim for Jesus is both the touchstone of Christianity and the ingredient that makes it unique. So Jesus is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is our Lord. One of the greatest questions in the Christian faith is, is Jesus who he claimed to be? And before we dive in, let me just unpack another dimension here. And it's, it's more popular, I think, in our culture, the American culture, than any other culture. And that is this. We live in a culture that if we don't like certain things about Jesus, we just redefine him. We live in a uh, picture where we treat Jesus like a, like a buffet, like a salad bar. We'll take this about Jesus. We'll take this and, um, you know, olives and other things. We'll leave those out. And uh, we pick and choose what we believe or put it in a, in a different way for some parents in here. We believe in a Build-A-Bear Jesus. We stuff him with this and that and something else. We, we form Jesus into whatever makes us warm and, and fuzzy. You know, we live in a world where everybody gets their own personal Jesus. Everybody gets to have a Jesus that they want, a Jesus that appeals to them. And just think about some of the different Jesuses that people worship. And this isn't a, a full picture here, but um, here's a few Jesuses that our culture worships. We have the Republican Jesus, who is all for family morals. He's for Fox News, and he is definitely for the Second Amendment. Um, we have the Democrat Jesus, who is all about helping the poor. He cares about the environment, and he probably has a deal with CNN. Um, then we have therapist Jesus, who listens to us and always says, how does that make you feel? Because this Jesus is definitely concerned with our feelings. Then we have hippie Jesus, who teaches all of us to give peace a chance and is always helping us to remember that all we need is love. Of course, we also have Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, he has a man bun, he loves religious conversations, and chances are he drives a hybrid. So we have that. Um, we have Touchdown Jesus, who helps athletes jump higher and run faster, and that Jesus is always, get this, he's always for your team. So whatever your team is, he's always in favor of your team. Then we have Anything Goes Jesus, who really doesn't care what we do, how we act, what sins we're a part of. He's just there to love us. So anything goes and he just loves. Then we have Guru Jesus, who is the wise and inspirational one who teaches us how to find our center. Maybe in the midst of yoga is where we, we meet him. So we have that. We have good example Jesus, the one who everything he did was just about setting a good example for us. That's all he came to do. Then we have the martyr Jesus, the good man who died a bad death so that we could feel sorry for him. So we have all of these different forms of, of Jesus that are alive and well in our culture. And then we get to the Bible and he is identified as Jesus Christ, son of the living God, our Lord. Meaning this, Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Jesus is exactly who he revealed himself as. He's not who we identify him as. He's not who we claim him to be. He is who he is. 
And think about it. Um, the Apostle John put it this way. In, in John 1, 11 and 12, it says, He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But, but hear this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the scripture says this. John says to those who received him, received him as what? Received him as who he is. Those who received Jesus for who he is. Those who came to Christ on his own terms. I don't know everyone in this room. You may prefer a Jesus who is small and safe and domesticated. You may prefer a Jesus who thinks exactly like you think, who acts exactly like you act, and who would never contradict you. Maybe that's your picture of Jesus. You might, may prefer a, a Jesus who you can manage, you can predict, you can control. But understand this, the, the Jesus of this word is not a, just a slightly better version of us. The Jesus of this word is not just slightly smarter than us. The Jesus of this word, he is infinite and he is glorious. And an encounter with him doesn't just change the way we think, it changes everything. It changes everything. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this amazing phrase, Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And we're going to um, recite the creed together in just a second and then let that propel us into the word of God. Matthew 16 and John chapter 20. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to begin by reciting the creed together. Then we're going to jump into Matthew 16 and then John chapter 20. So if you can join me as we say this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection, and life. Now, if we can use that to, to propel us to the word of God, Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13. And when you get there... Okay, listen, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, if we can flip over to uh, John 20. In John 20, what we have is another confession. So in Matthew 16, Peter's confession. In John 20, we had the confession of a guy named Thomas. Beginning at verse 24, when you get there. So now Thomas, one of the twelve, called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
Put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray together. Father, we do come before you and we thank you for your word and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for who he is. We thank you, God, for who the, your word reveals him to be. And therefore, we come to you on those terms. Father, just show us today the majesty and power and authority of Christ. Show us today in a fresh and a new way who he is. And help us, God, to submit ourselves to the one who is and forever will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, we praise you and thank you. Just lead us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So just let me frame this whole picture in this way. If you just so happen to go to a function and Queen Elizabeth just so happened to be there, um, she would not be introduced to you as Liz Windsor. Um, that would not be the introduction. Instead, she would be presented to you as Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. And that would be the way she would choose to um, be introduced to you. Each part of um, her title shows her identity. In a um, same but yet more powerful way, we can be said that this week's portion of the creed, Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, presents God's Son to us in terms that communicate who He is, but also communicate the authority that He commands. So not just who He is, but the authority that Christ commands. So using the creed, we're going to unpack three amazing and authoritative truths about Jesus Christ. So the first is this. Jesus is the Christ of God. He is the Christ of God. So the setting of Matthew 16 takes place in or right outside of Caesarea Philippi, a city, a Roman city, a city which, um, in which the Romans had built temple after temple after temple to God after God after God after God. So Caesarea Philippi was like a huge strip mall to every, every God imaginable. So it was like the town center of just gods and worship places and all of these things. And the newest temple that had been built in the time of Jesus was a temple built to Caesar. And inside of that temple was, was the inscription, the Son of God, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And underneath that, Caesar is Lord. So in that backdrop, in that setting, Jesus comes to the disciples and says, Hey, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And it's really an ongoing question. And let's be honest, it's kind of a non-threatening question because everybody has an opinion about Jesus. I mean, it's not a, that's a non-threatening question. Who is Jesus? Because everybody has an opinion. Even during the time of Christ, there was a continual debate about him. Some said Jesus was God. Others said he was demon-possessed. Some said he was a good teacher. Others said, no, he's a liar. Some said he's brilliant. Others said he's insane. Some said he's a prophet. Others said, no, he's a blasphemer. So in the midst of all this, you have all of these opinions. Yet on this occasion, in Caesarea Philippi, the word on the street is that Jesus was a reincarnated prophet, meaning that every person that they, they mentioned, John the Baptist, um, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, were dead. 
So saying that he's one of those means that he is a reincarnated prophet. So that is the word on the street. That is what people were thinking. And I love what happens next. Because Jesus doesn't just stop with the word on the street. In fact, I would present before you today that we will never see the worth of Jesus by doing an opinion poll. You'll never see his worth by taking an opinion poll of what people think about him. The only way we will understand his worth is by seeing his majesty. As we saw last year in our I Am series, we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what Jesus does now is he, in turn, turns to those who have seen his glory and his majesty, the disciples, and he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I love, here, here comes Peter. Peter was the disciple with the foot-shaped hole in his mouth because he was always sticking his foot in his mouth. Peter was always the first one to speak. Um, he wasn't always right, but he was never in doubt. So he would always speak in that way. And in this moment, um, he gets it right. But of course, Jesus takes all credit away because Jesus even says, Peter, you did not get that on your own. God gave it to you. So any, any street cred or cred that uh, Peter had, Jesus took it right away from him. But he begins by saying this, you are the Christ. Jesus, you are the Christ. And let me just um, kind of to the surprise of some, Christ is not Jesus' last name. So just, just so you know, it wasn't Jesus of the Christ family. And uh, I know we might be shocked in that, so it wasn't Jesus Christ, and then Jesus Christ the third, and all of these things. Christ was his title. It was, not, it was not nothing about from that standpoint. So just think about it. The, the name Christos is a picture in Greek, and it means either anointed one or chosen one. It was um, translated in the Old Testament 20 times to refer to the king as the anointed one. Therefore, when Peter says, when Peter opens his mouth and says, you are the Christ, Peter was declaring Jesus in that moment to be the king over all other kings. And in this backdrop of Caesarea Philippi, the crown jewel of the Roman Empire, this great temple that um, set uh, Caesar up as the king of kings and the lord of lords, Peter stood and said, no, Jesus, you are the king. And just think about it. Have we enthroned Jesus in that way? Have we unashamedly put Jesus on the throne of our hearts? Have we stood in a culture who enthrones everything else but Jesus? And have we said, no, Jesus is the king? Have we done that? Have we bowed our knee to him? He is the Christ of God, the anointed one of God. He is the king. But his second picture is this. Jesus is the son of God. So not just the Christ of God, he is the son of God. So the second picture that Peter kind of unpacks for us, he says, you are the Christ, and then you are the son of the living God. And when Peter says that, what Peter was saying is, Jesus, you're God. That's who you are. You're not just a mere man. You're not just a high-ranking angel. You are God in human form. You are 100% God, 100% man. Even the most famous verse in Scripture kind of um, highlights this picture of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his... Woo! Okay, stay with me. Okay, he gave his... Okay, only son, only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. Most of us know that phrase, only begotten son. Now we think of it, probably most of us when we think of it, we think of it only in human terms or human experiences. I am the only son of Billy Strickland. The only son. And you 
could even go on to say, like father, like son, and keep going in that way. Yet, when we call Jesus the begotten of God, we mean even more than that. Jesus, Jesus isn't God's son just because he descended from David. Jesus isn't God's son because God chose him for a mission. Jesus isn't God's son because Jesus was the, he was the most pure of all the impure people, so he was an easy pick for God. Um, in the same way, Jesus is not God's son in the sense of human father and son. God did not get married um, and have a son. Jesus is God's son in the way that he was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit, or to put it in a different way, Jesus is God's son because he was begotten of God. He was begotten of God. I love what C.S. Lewis says. When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies, a beaver begets little beavers, and a bird begets eggs which turn into little birds. But when you make or create, you make something of a different kind from yourself. A bird makes a nest. A beaver builds a dam. A man makes a wireless set, or we could say a computer. So when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we mean that God has begotten his Son in his very same divine nature, nothing less, get this, from all eternity. From all eternity. One church father explained the relationship between the Father and Son in this way. As the spring is not the stream, and the stream is not the spring, yet the same water flows through both. Even so, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, but they share the same divine nature. And so, think about this. Jesus is equally God. He's eternally God. And if that messes up your mind just a little bit, good. Good. Our, our minds need to be messed up by the fact that He is God. Understand, if you have your God today in a nice, in a nice little box with a nice little bow on top, He's not God. That we don't take this God and put him in a box, and that's who he is. We don't redefine him. This is a picture. The true God will bust out of every box, and he will completely blow our minds with who he is. So Jesus is not just the Christ of God. He's the Son of God. And then lastly, Jesus is the Lord God. He is the Lord God. So now we go from Matthew 16 to John 20. In John 20, we have this picture. It's a pre-resurrection or post-resurrection, excuse me, post-resurrection picture of, of Jesus and, and Thomas. Um, we're going to get to the resurrection in a few uh, weeks with the creed. And, of course, on Easter Sunday, which just kind of works out that way because I planned it to work out that way. But let me just let me admit something um, to you from the beginning of this. I kind of feel bad for Thomas. I feel bad for Thomas. Other disciples didn't get named for their faults and failures. Yeah, Peter is not called petrified Peter because he was scared to death all the time. And, and other things, and this isn't necessarily true, but um, it, it wasn't James the Jealous or Philip the Prideful or Judas the Jerk or Andrew the Angry. None of these other disciples got nicknamed for their failures. But poor Thomas, poor Thomas, he makes some pretty truthful statements from what he's feeling and bless his heart, he'll forever be known to us as the doubting one, poor doubting Thomas, yet in this moment, in John chapter 20, Thomas, I love this, Thomas did not just have, didn't just have an encounter with the resurrected Christ, he had an encounter with the wounds of Christ. I, I read this week that this is the only place in the Gospels where nails are even mentioned when it, when it comes to Jesus' crucifixion, where Thomas says, I won't believe until I see what the nails did. I won't believe until I can put my hand in his 
sight, I won't believe. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, Thomas, take a look. Take a look. Put, put your hands here. Put your hands in my, my side. What a merciful Savior we have that would show up and wouldn't just look at Thomas and say, Thomas, you're an idiot. How dare you? No, he showed up and said, Thomas, if this is what you need, look. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. You see, Christian belief is not just about an opinion that we have. It's a surrender to his lordship. We surrender to the fact that he is Savior and Lord. He is the one who saves, and he is the one alone who is worthy of our lives. And when an early believer would say, Christ is Lord, they were doing more than just making some religious affiliation. They weren't just saying, I'm Baptist because I say um, Jesus is Lord. No, they were declaring, we believe and we trust and we have allegiance to Jesus alone. Alone, no other, no other allegiances in our lives. Chuck Colson put it this way. If you stood in a public gathering and cried, Jesus is God, no one would care. But if you shouted, Jesus is Lord, you would start a riot. He says, let us be crystal clear about this. Rome did not persecute Christians because they believed in the deity of Christ or that Jesus was the promised Messiah or that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Rome did not kill Christians because they said Jesus is the only way of salvation. Those were religious beliefs that did not threaten the state. But when Christians declared Jesus Christ is our Lord and there is no other, that was a direct attack on Caesar worship and thus it was punishable by death. Just follow with me here. Early Christians lived in a world where they were required to say Caesar is Lord. They don't say that. They could lose businesses. They could have family turn on them. So many things that could happen. And they had in that moment a decision to make. Do I... Do I forsake Christ and bow down for the sake of what everyone else is worshiping? Or do I say and declare what I know to be true, that Jesus Christ is Lord and he alone is Lord. There's no other beside him. Think about the clear command of Scripture. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want us to just think about Thomas. So think about Thomas real quick. Real quick. Woo! Okay, just to get your attention. All right, so think about Thomas. Someone who honestly doubted Christ, yet through a merciful revelation. So Jesus was merciful to him. A merciful revelation forever changed the course of his life, forever changed him. And then think about the anti-Thomas. These are so many people who say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in all the things the Bible says. Yet there is no fruit. There is no evidence of salvation in their lives. Just think about this question. Is it possible to say that you believe in everything Christianity proclaims and still be lost? And the answer is sadly, yes. It's possible for you to say you believe everything that we believe and still not be saved. Someone has said that many people will miss heaven by 18 inches. It's the distance between your head and your heart of what you think you know and what you really truly believe. I tell you that the words of Matthew 7:21 are haunting. Jesus says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven." Or James 2:19 says, "You believe in God? Good for you. Even the demons believe and they tremble." 
You know what that verse shows me? That verse shows me that the devil himself has more faith than some professing Christians. Because the Bible says that Satan trembles at God's word, where many professing Christians won't even open God's word. So, just, so he has more faith than some professing believers. But I, I want to end this way, and it's kind of a familiar way to us. But let's just say for a second this morning that Satan was here today. So Satan walked in, and of course some people will try to um, mess with this idea by going, well, Satan's a liar, but let's just say he had to tell the truth. And let's just say we um, said, okay, Satan, we're going to ask you a few questions. Do you believe the Bible is God's word? Satan would go, yeah, I know the Bible is God's word. Well, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Well, yeah, I believe Jesus is God's son. I know who he is. Well, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? And Satan would go, yeah, I tried to keep it from happening, um, but it happened. So, yeah, I believe that. If we were to say, well, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved? Satan would say, yeah, I know Jesus is the only way to be saved. And that's why I'm so busy trying to produce other ways for people to believe. And then if we were to go, man, Satan, you, you answered all the questions correctly. Would you like to come and join our church and use your gifts and abilities here? And Satan would say, nothing would make me happier than to join your church and use my gifts and abilities here. Nothing would make me happier at all. So just think about this. So what would be the defining question? If That's a great checklist, right? If we were to ask most people that question and they would respond affirmatively, wouldn't we say, well, they're saved, but Satan isn't? So what would be the question that we would ask that really would, would get to the heart of the matter? And the question would be this, Satan, will you repent of your sins and will you surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? To that question, Satan would say, absolutely not. For you see, there is no room in Satan's heart or in his being, for Jesus. There's no room. He is the Lord of his life. There's no room. And I, I want to invite every person in this room to think about, in this moment, your relationship with Jesus. We live in a country where it is said that 92% of Americans believe in Jesus. So 92% of Americans believe there was a historical figure named Jesus. But then think about this question. Do 92% of Americans honor Jesus as Lord? Do 92% of people view Jesus as the eternal Son of God? Do 92% view Him as being the King of all kings and the Lord of lords? Do 92% even want to know Him? And the answer to all those questions is no. They don't see Him in that way. I love the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and these are his words. I wish they were mine, but I'm going to say them as if they were. If you do not believe in the unique deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian, whatever else you may be. We are not looking at a good man only. We're not interested merely in the greatest teacher the world has ever seen. We are face to face with the fact that God, the eternal Son, has been in this world and that he took upon him human nature and dwelt among us, a man amongst men, the God-man. What manner of man is this? He is more than a man. The answer is he is also God. Let me say that again because I think we need to hear this. If a person is not willing to say that Jesus Christ is a Christ, he's God, that person is not a Christian. You cannot come to God on your terms. You cannot come to God with your beliefs. 
You cannot come to God saying, I know what this says, but this is what I believe or what I was taught. I would say this morning as we close this time is, where do you stand in Christ? Where do you stand in Christ? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Have there ever been a time where you have turned from your sin, turned from trusting in yourself, and turned to Jesus as Savior and Lord? there hasn't, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for you. Maybe you're here, and I think there's good likelihood that there's those of us here that are professing Christians that, if we're going to be honest, we have, we have done the whole Build-A-Bear Jesus thing. We've done the salad bar thing. We've made a Jesus that fits right along with our lives, who goes everywhere that we go and never contradicts anything that we say or anything that we do. And that's a scary thing, brothers and sisters, because there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't read the word of God, that I don't close it and go, ouch. <laughs> that, that hurt. And we've got to be careful because if we're, if we're following someone or say we believe in someone that never contradicts us, then chances are we're just believing in ourselves. We're just following ourselves. And so today needs to be the day that many believers say, I, I need to be done with these thoughts and what I'm thinking, and I need to instead embrace this, that Jesus is the Christ. He is God's only Son, and He is my Lord. I pray that today would be a day of that and all across this room. If you can go ahead and stand, and we're going to call the musicians forward and enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And in that moment, we say this, if God is telling you to do something, that you would do it. So let's pray. Father, we approach you, God, and we approach you through your Son. And Lord, the reality is, Father, we live in a world that has so many ideas and concepts of, of Jesus. Maybe even some good ideas. But they, are, they miss the mark of not just your idea, but the truth of who Christ is. Father, I pray today for anyone in this room that has never turned from their sin and turned to Jesus as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray as well, Lord, for brothers and sisters in this room that have somehow defined and shaped and built a Savior that fits their life. Today would be a day, Lord, that they would repent of that and would turn in a fresh and new way to the one who, God, you have revealed to us and you have sent for us and the one in whom your word says that if we receive him, for who he is and believe in his name we will be children of God Lord finish this time and just remind us God what you have done for us in Jesus name Amen